do we see at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Bozo, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. Welcome to Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food. This is a special dedicated series on transition finance. Why are we recording this series? Many farmers are ready to speed up their regenerative transition. They've looked for learning, done the courses, read the key books, hosted the gurus on their farms, explored farm-sized regenerative designs, and most importantly, started their pilots and feedback loops. This is where transition finance is key. A local bank loan often isn't feasible because of the short duration, lack of flexibility, and the farmer's lack of collateral. Furthermore, there's a limit of how much equity a farmer is able or willing to give away. That is why my co-host, aspiring to be regenerative farmer, Benedict Bösel, and I are embarking on a journey to find out what are the key principles of transition finance for regenerative farmers. We are interviewing leading practitioners in the regenerative agriculture and food finance space. They share their insights how they would finance the speed up of the regenerative transition on Benedict's 1,000 hectares, which is almost 2,500 acres farm in Germany close to Berlin. This is an open process. We are sharing our lessons through the podcast episodes as we go along. We don't have the answers yet, just a lot of questions. So please share with us any examples of transition finance you've seen, other inspiration, people to interview, etc. Get in touch via the contact page on the website, investinginregenerativeagriculture.com. That is investinginregenerativeagriculture.com. So welcome to the podcast show, Benedict. I'm so excited to have you as, as my co-host on this journey. We're going to start with many interesting episodes and learn, I think, a lot on transition finance. So welcome. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, glad to be here. Um, I think, you know, we have uh, so many things to discuss and I'm really interested to see where, where the journey leads us. And, and can you start with giving a small introduction? I mean, I know you, I feel pretty well, but obviously the audience doesn't. If who you are and, and what made you take over a gigantic farm, which, which we'll completely explore in the next episodes in Germany. Who's Benedict Bösel? <laughs> That's a good If I would always know that, um, I, you know, I think that would help me already uh, quite a bit. Um, so basically, I was born in Munich and lived there for the first couple of years of my life. But we always went to the countryside on the weekends. And pretty much all I remember is actually playing on my own, um, you know, in the mud, in the forest, running around, being on my own, being free in the, in, in the nature Having two older sisters probably is, is part of that equation. But you so, want to escape every now and then. Yeah. yeah, I think you kind of have to, especially in that age. And growing up, it was uh, quite similar. We moved to the middle of Germany in the Rhineland, where we also lived on the countryside. So for me, uh, you know, in the, especially in the first couple of years, it was always about being outside, hunting, fishing, you know, just being a boy in, in the open, so to say. So my connection to nature is really, uh, yeah, from a very young age, I guess. Um, and I was always fascinated by all different animals and species and, and you know, all the complex systems and, and that real life you can experience um, when you're outside. But you didn't, I mean, you didn't turn into a farmer immediately. You didn't study biology or you went to farming school, but you turned into uh, an investment banking career. That's quite a, quite a shift. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was actually quite the opposite. I mean, although having grown up like that and, and totally focused in, uh, on nature, when I was in the age of, let's say, 18, 19, 20, the idea of being a farmer was not that compelling to me, quite the opposite. You know, I was looking at the whole banking industry and investment banking. And I remember when we were like young kids starting to go out, you know, we were always telling telling the girls, yeah, we are an investment banker and we study on the LSE in London and so forth. <laughs> and we, I think, you know, I kind of bought into that because obviously having that, that cool banking, um, a lot of money idea and, and career, that was, yeah, something I thought was, you know, interesting in a way and, and could be a career. So that's really how I got into that. And I think at that time, 
I wasn't, let's say, I didn't reflect as much as, as you do when you get older, naturally. So when I started in investment banking, we pretty much had the top phase 2006. Then we had the financial crisis 2007. And that's really, you know, when I started thinking about that whole process and idea and the kind of the value and the meaning that you can actually achieve in that industry. And I mean, seeing how this uh, yeah, strong system of, of I don't know, that, that strong financial system suddenly basically collapses into it, uh, yeah, collapses. Um, and to see. So basically, you started at, at the absolute height of the wave, basically, and then the absolute depth came, like the strongest financial crisis since the, the Great Depression basically followed immediately after. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, as a 22 year old, you know, your view on those kind of things are obviously quite different and seeing that immediate reaction and then seeing your cool managing directors sitting in their offices and crying and you knew, okay, they have like two, three different children. They have huge investment annuity costs that they have to cover and suddenly, you know, they all don't have any jobs anymore. That really started a, a certain, at least emotional process with me. And I mean, that's, I think that was really the time where I kind of, you know, after two, three years in investment banking, I started looking at, right, like, that's not your way. I mean, you know, I was like thinking about how can I really find, you know, what I'm supposed to do. And having grown up in nature, having had that strong connection all my life to, let's say, natural, the natural world, I was thinking, okay, you know, this is like an area where we will have increasingly more problems and fundamental problems. And having seen how that crisis hit that the, the industry and what huge effect that had on, on livelihoods from people all over the world, I thought, you know, as much as this is bad, you know, you have to turn your talents and, and your focus onto something that is actually good. So that brought me back to, you know, the, the, the question of, you know, how can you contribute? How can you bring your talent to an area where it really matters? And naturally, let's say, nature and resources and those processes were my strongest focus, I guess. And that led you to start focusing more on environmental technologies and, and ag tech. How did that happen? How did you roll into that? What were exciting moments you, you remember? I mean, still you're involved in ag tech, but very soil focused. But let's say before you took over the farm, what was your focus? Well, I mean, basically, partly through my history, right? So I had all that, let's say, financial knowledge and experience from the university, then then working uh, in uh, mergers and acquisitions with the bank. After that, having done some restructuring, I knew that, you know, that is a kind of skill set and an instrument that could be quite beneficial. And I didn't want to move, you know, too far away from that. So I, I was looking for some situation where I can bring that in, but also, you know, move towards uh, things where my passion lies. So that being, let's say, resources and, and land use. And so I was between those two, having the financial side on one hand and, you know, that new kind of way of, and, and vision of, of getting active in, in the natural world, so to say. And then I was, you know, screening basically on a worldwide scale, you know, how can you combine the two? How, what can you do, do derive from that? How can you develop that somehow? And obviously I looked, looked uh, towards uh, uh, the US and that was a time where you had like the first couple of startups in the ag space and you had, um, uh, you had uh, VCs like Cultivian, uh, Antera was already doing their first fund, um, Avrio was there also. But there was no ag funder. There was like the structure, the ag tech structure as we know today wasn't yet at, at all actually developed. But seeing that, like that idea of innovation, technological, digital innovation in the agricultural space, I immediately thought, okay, wow, I mean, this is it. This is exactly what we need. Uh, we can only solve those huge problems through innovation and obviously technology and, and uh, digitalization, um, obviously being a huge potential to that. So after I kind of, I guess, I mean, found that or, or understood that, well, like understood that incredible potential, I wrote, let's say, a pitch, so to say, and started connecting and, and contacting and, and meeting all the large German agriculture companies, potential investors. I looked for startups in the space. I reached out to universities. Um, I started talking to different politicians and basically went around saying, guys, um, look, there is 
something happening here. There is innovation uh, being developed. There is incredible potential, and we we need to be part of that. And um, I mean, going to a very traditional, um, often also family-run company focused on agricultural equipment and telling them about venture capital and and investing into uh, <laughs> must be an interesting experience. Yeah. <laughs> tech innovation. I mean, you know, I think those guys, they were always, you know, checking underneath the, the table if I'm wearing shoes from made of wood or something, because that was just not on the cards. So they, they were never, they never heard of it. They never thought about that. Like even the pronunciation of startup is, is something that they took like three, uh, three appointments to, to get, <laughs> to get going. Um, so basically, I think, that was like the first time that that we you know tried to develop those kind of ideas but you could immediately see that if you come as a 25 26 year old you want to raise a fund uh, invest in ag tech startups after the biotech bubble having no track record i mean that's just not a very good selling point right i mean i wouldn't give anyone money who, who would be in that position so during that phase i met someone who just raised um, or started a venture capital corporate venture capital fund uh, with Billfinger. And Billfinger is also uh, quite a traditional company in, in different manufacturing and engineering processes. And because of their capability in, in water and garbage and renewable energy technologies, they were already quite close to AgTech, let's say. So I started working with them, looking at, at the market in a, in a, I guess, in a similar way. But then they had some serious problems with regards to revenue forecasts and the share price fell from 84 to 40 something which i think was the first in in german history to go down that badly so obviously in those kind of situations venture capital is is one of the things the last I'd, thing yeah. <laughs> exactly i mean uh, having to uh, lay off 4000 people and then telling someone that you'll invest into a startup um, i think it's it's also a difficult one but that was a, a time for me that Obviously, I was very involved in the whole market of agriculture startups in Germany. I spoke to, you know, many of the associations that, that have some connection to farming. Um, I did various um, talks and speeches at, at political institutes and, and political, like for the government. And what I realized that, you know, all of those technologies, all of the problems, all of the, let's say, underlying fundamentals all of that, let's say, complexity was just overwhelming, right? So I really had that strong feeling that in order to develop the market, to develop that idea, to produce technologies, to help startups also and find solutions, you need people who are on the ground and you need people who are on the ground and at the same time open and willing and able to speak to all different interest groups, right? I mean, you, you got to be able to talk to an ecological farmer and a conventional farmer. You got to be able to talk to people who are from the conservation side. You're going to talk to large corporates um, like Bayer, for example. You got to be able to talk to, or not only able but willing to, uh, the politicians because we can't solve those kind of problems on our own. No one can. It always has to be a sort of interdisciplinary, multi multifunctional group of actors and different actors coming together and saying okay let's do this let's solve this thing and this thing for you also if i understand i remember correctly slowly more and more and more it started to click like this thing starts with soil like it starts and ends probably with, with soil and was it a realization that you always had or was it something that over these many talks you did, many conversations you had, many companies and startups you looked at, and, and also obviously many farms you visited. And you spend, I'm imagining also time on, on the farms of the farm of your parents. That soil moment, was there a soil moment? Was it a soil process? How did that grow? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, that, that's a really good question. I guess there was two moments that kind of came together. There was a soil moment and there was a, a me, myself and I moment, I guess. But so... <laughs> Uh, after it's, deciding, it's not a soil moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think they're pretty much the same. But um, after starting, uh, I took over the family farm in uh, December 2016. And obviously, coming from let's say the technology side, I was deeply, you know, interested and fascinated by the whole potential of let's say technology and, and digitalization. And I thought, you know, innovation is key. 
So basically, we are we're situated one hour east of Berlin, and what is very special about the place is the combination of incredibly low precipitation and sandy soil. So um, as far as the precipitation is concerned, we are on have a 10-year average of around 450 millimeters, uh, whereas the last two years are around 200 to 300 millimeters per year. And then the soil at, at the same time is, is very sandy. So uh, we have about between 1.1 and 1.5% organic matter. And that combination obviously is incredibly challenging for, for growing. Yeah, I mean, for growing anything really. So, yeah, I was I was thinking I was specifying it, but I mean, it comes out to comes down to it that you know, uh, even a cactus needs some water. So, um, so basically, I came from the the technology side and thought you know, innovation is key. Technology, technological innovation is key, and I was in in contact um, with a couple of large um, agriculture equipment manufacturers saying like, let's have a Let's have an example of a farm, an ecological farm, 1,000 hectares, where we completely bring in all the technology that we have, all the digital processes, and it's it's one hour east of Berlin. You know, we can have a, you know, have this this place where people come together, potential buyers, customers, will do events and just show what we actually can do already through through technology. And through that process, you know, I was like sitting in my office, looking outside, and thinking wow, it, it's not raining and, you know, it, it continues to not rain. And I'm thinking, I'm reading about, you know, satellite and drones and this and here and, and forth. And I was like, wow, it's, it, I mean, like the reality of what I'll see when I look out of the window versus the theory of, of technology and instruments that I have on the on this contract lying before me, it just has nothing to do with it, with, with each other. It one, The one thing outside, with, you know, the thing that I'm considering in the office there is a huge discrepancy between the two when it comes to actual, let's say, um, applicability. Practicality. Um, yeah. Practicality, yeah. I mean, exactly. So I stopped all of that and said, okay, this this can't be the solution. And, and I thought, okay, so what is the by far most important asset and what is like the thing I have to put all my focus on? And then that's exactly where where the soil moment uh, really started because I was like, okay, I mean, this is the key. I mean, soil for us builds soil organic matter, grow healthy soil, build soil fertility. And that being said, I mean, it's it's the soil biology, the physics, chemistry. I mean, so many things coming together. If I manage to build that, then that is the key for for any challenge that that there might come. And I mean, there is going to come very many, right? And then all kinds of technologies and all kinds of ag tech etc will be extremely useful if focused on building soil exactly and, i mean uh, your soil moment yeah yeah i mean i think you know i don't want to sound like I, I don't think technology or digitalization is is not going to help us i think the potential is incredible but it has to start from the soil and what i see today in in many 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 cases especially in agriculture is that all the technology, all the digital products that we have, they always try to fight a certain problem, you know. But I think what we do in order to restore soil, in order to, you know, find agricultural land use models that actually grow the soil and, and enhance biodiversity is not fight the outcomes or fight the problems, but maybe take a step back and think about the root causes of the problems, and how we can actually change the root causes of the problems using nature, like in line with nature. And I think that was then, so to say, my moment, um, first realizing that, you know, the focus has to be soil and then realizing that, you know, there's very different methods of doing agriculture, of thinking agriculture, of understanding agriculture, and that, you know, being inspired by, you know, all, all the legends, obviously, that we all know and, and the books that we all read, you know, starting from Alan Savory, uh, Gabe Brown, Joel Zalatin, um, Ernst Götz from Brazil, Elaine Ingham, understanding what these guys, you know, have been doing for 20, 30 years, which amazing ways of yeah working with nature can help us in such a, um, yeah, I mean, practical way, yeah, practical, and amazing way. 
and, and not taking away from, I think, the, the potential of technology and the potential of machinery and the potential of software and etc. But the goals of the system have to be right in this case. Does it help farmers build soil at scale or does it enable farmers to do it faster or does it enable someone like you to actually make other choices and, and other uh, choices that you otherwise wouldn't have made? Is, is technology actually enabling you to do more? Exactly. I mean, I think today, as of now, we all like there's on, on the one side, you know, there's people who are pushing, obviously, the developments of technology in, let's say, in, in a in a way that, you know, we we see agriculture being done on, on a huge scale at the moment. And then on, on the other side, uh, if there is sides, but uh, then there's this area, uh, the, this other group that is, you know, focused on, let's say, nature-based solutions, multifunctional land use models, regenerative uh, farming methods. And I think the combination of the two, which is already here and there on a, on a, on a small level, it may be already happening. But I think once we bring those two groups together or that those two lines of thought i think this is when when agriculture will be just fascinating and in like incredibly let's say helping that, that whole yeah. yeah rewarding not only for the farmer but also on a let's say on on a on a, on a wider scale um because if you ask me you know farming in my belief is is by far the biggest instrument that we have for for many of the the big problems that we see today and i mean we are talking about obviously a co2 sequestration but we are also talking about health i mean that is one of the main parts um, food as medicine we're talking about inequality we're talking about rural development we're talking about education i mean and this is i think all in like not how do you say it like this is all so strongly connected to the question of how we treat nature, how we use nature in a way that um, we can actually enhance it and make it better. And having that regenerative idea of land use, I think, yeah, it's something that we've already seen picking up so much in, in just the last couple of years. But I think it's going to be the main thing that we'll be talking about, and not only in the agricultural space, but I think it will actually leapfrog into other industries, which we can already see. And I think that is, that is incredible because, you know, that kind of concept coming out of agriculture into other industries is, um, yeah, is, is the way it should be, I guess. Yeah. And I think it, it will be fascinating in this series because this is not the last time we'll be discussing. We're definitely going to focus on transition finance and, and obviously on the farm you took over. And we're going to discuss that a bit later, but it touches upon so many other things. It touches on ecosystem services, on land ownership, on healthcare, on CO2, on what, I mean, there, and, and we're not going to shy away from that. So I'm very excited to, to really dive deep in, in, into this case and to really see where we can get with these models. I want to ask you a bit on the vision of the farm, but actually beyond the farm, because you, you look in general, you look beyond things. So you founded this, the Good Embezzle. Can you explain a bit what that is and what your beyond farming vision entails? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, basically, so the idea is because we are situated one hour east of Berlin, we obviously have a, a quite a good connectivity for people that, you know, who are interested in those kind of, uh, yeah, those kind of questions that we work on. And, and as I said, like, you know, I believe that the role of us as farmers is is far beyond what, what we today think of. You know, it's not only primary production. It is and it can be so many more fascinating things. So we have a, well, we, we framed a name, so to say, for that concept, which we call Beyond Farming, which really consists of three different parts. It's, it's beyond sustainability, which is, of course, you know, the, the whole idea of saying, well, we don't want to just sustain, you know, we want to make it better. So we find or we're looking for uh, different forms of, of multifunctional land use models and bring them here on our challenging environment with the low precipitation and, and, the, and the sandy soil, test them here, develop them here and see how they can be done in a way that they are socially, ecologically and, and, and economically, let's say, beneficial. So that is one part, um, bring in those different, you know, lines of thought, I guess, from regenerative agriculture just to show, you know, what is possible and what not. On a large scale, like a large commercial farm, I think that's often forgotten because 
often this research is done either in universities or, or other places that, that maybe not have to focus on profitability or need to have it because, I mean, they have people to pay or you have people to pay. So there's this interesting, the farm as a platform or the land as a platform, but within certain boundaries and certain, I mean, within the normal, let's say, farming, between brackets, normal farming system. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I think, you know, in order to really be part of a, of a paradigm that is being changed or, or to work into that, we can only make sure that it is applicable if we can scale it and if it is economically feasible, right? So you can think about ecological and social benefits um, all you want. You need to find, obviously, a way that, that you can, as a farmer, earn, earn a good income from it and, and be sustainable from an economic point of view. So, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think, you know, you have to bring it into the real context of being included or yeah, even like a, a big part of running the farm or being, you know, the farm business. So, yeah, we will try to, to scale it up. At the same time, obviously, there's, you know, so much knowledge to be captured, so much, let's say, learnings to be made that, you know, a way for us is also to have people come in that either are skilled in that area already or that, um, let's say, do a, a monitoring of it, be it NGOs, be it uh, scientific groups, be it uh, universities, to make sure that you can actually capture all the experience and the learnings that, that you see. And I mean, there's just so many, right? Yeah, sorry, I interrupted your beyond, uh, the, the three points of beyond. We are still at beyond <laughs> yeah. sustainability. Uh, yeah, I was going to come back to that, but uh, <laughs> thank you for that. No, so that's really, you know, that's the whole beyond sustainability part. Then on another note, we, we, have, we always say beyond food, because I think to bring in, let's say, the public, to bring in uh, also politicians, to bring in many people who are often, you know, talking about agriculture, let's say, without really being aware of it in that instance, or who talk about food but don't think about agriculture. I think you, it's always a, um, important to find a good, like you have to speak their language, right? And coming too much, let's say, from the agriculture angle, I think many are not yet there to understand that link between the two. So when we have guests, when we have visitors, when we are somewhere invited to talk somewhere, then we always come from, let's say, the food angle. And so, yeah, start the conversation on food and then move them into agriculture and, and try to uh, yeah, establish a feeling of why the two are so strongly interconnected, why soil health has to do with plant health, human health, animal health, And I think it's a good way of, of starting a conversation and making people interested about, you know, agriculture as such, because it is so strongly linked to emotions that you always have to, yeah, find a way how they can open themselves up for something that... And yeah, start a discussion without exactly. polarizing um, it immediately. And, and exactly. Because you lose people very quickly, which, uh, or farmers in general, I mean, uh, you, you lose people in general very quickly in, in these topics especially on animal agriculture, especially on, on GMOs, especially on the big chemical companies. I mean, they're very, rightfully so, very touchy subjects. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But food is something we all do. So yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a great way, a great segue into, yeah, not starting to talk about soil immediately, which we usually do, uh, but yeah. maybe it's not <laughs> the best way. It's maybe to, to talk about food and how, how that came from soil and, and, and the importance and the challenges and the opportunities. Do you want to learn how to invest or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space? Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course or in the show notes description below. Yeah, um, exactly that. And I think, you know, when we have um, uh, visitors or, or friends even here, One of the first things I always say is that I want them to be as honest and open as they possibly can, because I tell them what I think and I tell them, you know, my thoughts and ideas and feelings and whatnot. And, you know, if you have people visiting and them not being open, not asking questions, even if they think, you know, it might be a question that I don't want to hear, um, you will never touch that, you know, those points, those emotions that you actually need to touch upon 
if you want to get into a real discussion and if you even might want to change something either in yourself or, or in the one you're talking to. So, and I think food is, is something where, you know, you, you can, you can find that level quite, quite easily and then move on uh, to more complicated, to, to more complicated matters. So that's that part. Um, and the third is, is basically what we call beyond business or beyond farm business really, because being, let's say an actor in, in the rural area and, and obviously having, let's say that the land that you're managing, the forest that you're managing, a lot of infrastructure that goes with it, you know, it's, it's also there. It's not only primary production. Like we, we always understand ourselves also as a platform. So we, we work together with different startups that we, you know, assign certain fields from, or we use the technology or use their product. So we, we try to bring in some value for them. Um, at the same time, basically we, um, lease land to um, a couple that is starting a market garden now and then the land that we're leasing uh, is is for us actually not too good to um, to cultivate but for them it's everything right so there's huge potential in that and also there's some synergies but it goes beyond that it goes through basically educating people right I mean uh, you could invite schools you can invite other kids to say look um, you know just use the use the land for for educating use the land for for all kinds of things uh, and it either uh, it, it either goes beyond that um thinking about art um thinking about yeah different alternative models of of, of tell music me about the gigantic root system that you had <laughs> had, had, had arrived on your farm uh, as yeah. part of an art project yeah uh, i'll upload a photo of that but basically so we have this uh, basically the area where we live here and where we farm is pretty much where the war ended um, and uh, so all the old oak trees I mean they have you know they have seen it all in, in a way and next year in spring we're celebrating the 75th anniversary of the ending of the war and for the internationalism the second world war we're talking about exactly exactly and we met this artist who's always been you know involved in uh, in history, German history, and also working with wood. And I said, man, what do you think about doing something together? I would love to do some sort of art project. And um, so we thought about that idea and, and, and went back and forth. And he said, don't you have an old root of an, of a, of an oak? Uh, and I, I was like, yeah, of course, we have plenty of those. So we found this huge oak root, which is, I don't know, five, six meters wide. And, and the tree... Is, is estimated to be around 200 years old. So basically, we took it out of the out of the earth um, and carried it on uh, on the estate. And now it's there to dry. And next year we'll uh, we're hoping to be able to put it in in, in front of the or on the stairs of the Reichstag um, in Berlin. And the, the 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 art curatorium of the Bundestag will will discuss it and, and think about it in January. I think so. Which is the parliament building of, of Berlin, right? Yeah, that would be exactly. a nice symbol. Yeah, getting getting the roots roots over. I've seen it. It's I mean, we'll put a picture. It's absolutely massive, and <laughs> as it should be, as it, it's a two hundred plus year old tree. But still, it's it's very impressive to see the full or a big part of the the root system uh, above ground and not in the soil. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible, and I mean, I think also, I mean, the root is something that you know many people often don't think about and if you see that structure i mean it's just fascinating i mean it's really you know changing your look on things and i think that is really something that we have to do on such a great scale and that is i think why art takes or has to have such a huge part of that whole discussion we have today about you know changing the way we think about ecosystems changing the way we think about certain let's say economic processes the setup of companies i mean that is all somehow involved with with the horizon at least of the yeah i think in, in terms of art and education uh, there's an enormous role to make things visible like the root system to make regen egg visible to make the damages of the current egg system visible to make the potential and the imagination i think it's uh, there's a huge role for that and uh, something with like the aesthetics of things and the taste of things i think are very closely connected and, and make all of these discussions just a lot easier and, and a lot more fascinating, honestly. And I want to shift gears to, we're going to be extremely practical. We're going to uh, unpack a bit the, the farm. And we already mentioned a few things, but I want to start with the question, actually, why are you spending your time on a Friday afternoon to start on, on 
what could be quite a, a an extensive journey to explore transition finance, not only for your farm, but actually the principles of transition finance for many other farmers, let's say in Europe, but also actually outside Europe. What, what made you choose to take on next to all the, the farming, the root systems we discussed before, to take on another project? That's a good question and, and um, one that, that I've heard before, I guess. But um, when it comes to this podcast and the whole question of transitioning finance, I think, you know, there's so many young people, there's so many progressive thinkers, there's so many progressive farmers that are, you know, realizing the situation that they're in. Obviously, there's some, you know, that are fighting to somehow stay alive, uh, not only the farm, but the families, the work, you know, the passion that they have, the love that they have for farming. And I think those are confronted with incredible problems and incredible, let's say, tasks ahead. So there's that whole group of people who are pretty much forced to find a new way. I mean, they are running out of options. And I think for them, transition financing in a way that still gives them enough flexibility, that gives them enough freedom, that gives them the chance also, let's say, from a psychological point, really, a time to adapt, time to think about new ways, time to yeah, widen the horizon. I think that is, you know, a huge area for people who are you know, passionate changer. about agriculture. Yeah. Exactly. And, and they really need it. So that's one part. And I think another part is of people saying and realizing, wow, there is this whole new paradigm of agriculture, a new paradigm of coping with agricultural land, of cultivating land. There's a whole new meaningfulness of doing agriculture. And I want to get involved. I, I have me and my friends, I don't know, want to get involved. How do we do that? How can we get into that? How can we start? How can we, you know, get going? So for those people and those potential also new farmers, I think they are exactly at that point where they say, well, how can I actually start? Because not having the land, not being in, in that industry already, it's close to impossible to get going. And then there's a third group, which I guess I, I, I kind of consider myself uh, part of, that is, you know, already farming, maybe also faced with a couple of potential difficulties, but also incredibly interested to develop further, to to go new ways uh, and and at the same time seeing the incredible potential of it, but at the same time having a certain responsibility towards employees, towards family, towards maybe oneself, but also obviously towards the land. And I think that group is also saying, well, you know, we've read all the books. We know, let's say, the characteristics. We see the potential. We want to do it. We believe we can, you we've know, hit pilots, a market. So. Yeah, we've done the pilots. We're ready to go. But, you know, obviously there's incredible risks involved. So... I guess there's three different kind of groups. There's probably many more, but like for me, there's like the large, those large groups, which are all, yeah, capable and, and willing to move into that. And just because, yeah, there's, there's so many people considering it, but all of which have to kind of go in, in unused waters. How do you say it? Untapped waters. Yeah, uh, in unknown waters. Yeah. <laughs> in un yeah, exactly. And, but still, I mean, it comes back to, it, it still doesn't mean you have to do this. So I want to definitely thank you for your time and that we're, we're going to explore. It's time to talk a bit about the farm and to see, um, we prepared a, a nice document with a, an, an overview, which will definitely link in the description below or wherever you're listening to this podcast so you can read this back but we can do a few highlights of the farm just to have an idea of size what what are we talking about and i, I mean i think you already guessed that it's not a small one it's definitely bigger than than your average uh, few hectares and um, so Benedict, can you give a, a short overview of uh, good and bozo in terms of the farm but also the bigger platform as you you, you described it yeah sure i mean basically we are a family farm so my both of my parents live here, my two older sisters live here with their kids. Obviously, I live here. And what we're doing as a whole group, I guess, is basically ecological agriculture on roughly 1,000 hectares, forestry on another 2,000 hectares. There is a bed and breakfast uh, with a couple of double rooms. We have a, a small bakery that we um, use or that we can use. Um, there is an, an old English garden that we look after as well as, you know, the, let's say, different farm infrastructure that some of which you can use as, a, as an event room. 
And we pretty much run all of that with, let's say, a total of 20 employees. I guess as far as the agricultural land is concerned, um, as I said, um, our average ground points is around 35, which I think is a very German thing to German thing to say. I'm not sure if it's actually internationally known, but just to give you an, an, an idea, so it's a classification of soil quality, whereas 100 is you know as good as it gets, and zero being the lowest. If you're on a, so you're definitely in the lower region. Yeah, I think for Brandenburg, like the county that we're in, it's actually not that bad. There's there's some that are worse. But to give you an example, if you if you stand on the beach and you have the sand on your feet, then that's probably 16, 17, 18 ground points, and we are 35. So oh, yeah, yeah, should yeah. should give you good <laughs> good estimate of the quality. So our average plot sizes are around 40 hectares, and most of the fields are nicely situated around the farm, I guess. So on a on a production note, um, we basically our focus is grain production. Well, our focus as of now is grain production. Eight, between seventy seventy five percent is is actually in grain production. Usually we have spelt, barley, rye, wheat, all the classic ones. The rest is really legumes like uh, sweet lupine and uh, and alfalfa. And I mean this is basically the farm structure when I started over. What we have done since then and, and, and started with and experimenting with is basically different forms of regenerative agriculture. First of all, the let's say a classical agroforestry system where we planted different um, species of poplar and widow on a large field of roughly 30 hectares. And those are basically just thin lines, double, double rows, evenly dispersed over the field, really to see the effect on actually the grain production. So we know from the science that even if I reduce the agricultural land by, let's say, 5 to 10% by introducing those um, tree lines, I could probably have the same yield on the remaining, the same or, or even higher yield on the remaining agriculture, si agriculture field just because of the introduction of the ecosystem functions of the biomass of the, of the tree lines. And I think that is so applicable to the place that we are. I mean, we have this incredible drought time between really early early spring, early summer, also afterwards, the ground temperature sometimes reaches, I guess, 70, 80%. You have this amazing radiation, heat, dryness. So any tree, anything that can block that basically will exactly. help changing the, the local, the microclimate. Exactly. So I think, you know, that changing microclimate between the tree lines, I think is going to have a, a huge impact also on, on an erosion. You know, wind erosion is going to be a, a big thing. And then, I mean, if there is water, if it if it rains, obviously the 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 soil is, is is in a way that it actually can't take up any of it, right? So, I think that agroforestry, that let's say simple agroforestry system, is going to be very interested. We have a couple of uh, scientific facilities that are also, you know, monitoring uh, the soil uh, soil development, let's say. Or monitoring the soil development, which I think is going monetizing to monetizing would be great. Yeah, <laughs> that's the next. I was going to say, Damn. wow, you're advanced. Wow, yeah. it's automatic. It's it's transferring the Bitcoin straight to you. Yeah, uh, yeah. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, depending on the outcome, maybe I'll think about it. But um, yeah, um, then we have a project together with with um, um, Ernst Götsch, which uh, is from Switzerland, and he developed in Switzerland as well as in Brazil. Um, basically a style of agroforestry, a biodynamic agroforestry, I would call it. It's, it's called syntropic agri agriculture. Which is extremely advanced, right? And, and I think you, you're one of the first or maybe even the first to do, first of all, at, at scale, this is three and a half hectares in, in Germany. I don't think I've seen anybody getting, first of all, Aaron's coach to Germany and then actually implementing uh, one of these projects. Or am I, am I wrong? Yeah, I mean, he's... Uh, it took some uh, motivation, I guess, uh, to bring him over. But I mean, his way of doing agriculture is um, is, is quite quite popular in Brazil, in Argentina, and also on on a large scale. So it is being proven in a, in a way there already. And he started a couple of projects in Europe: one in Spain, one in Switzerland, one in Portugal, and a few others. And then we are lucky to have him in in Germany as well. And um, well, the idea is really. And I think actually this is something so fascinating about all those different lines of thought of, of regenerative ag 
it's always you know the same characteristics really i mean it's always about keeping the soil covered having a diverse crop rotation have a like large diversity of plants and animals all the large ones yeah uh, less soil disturbance obviously and it's the same with the syntropic one and uh Whenever I have visitors, then everyone is always like, yeah, but how can syntropic agriculture work in, 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 in your environment? And I always say, well, we're not going to plant any coca trees or, or, um, or bananas, or, or yes. bananas <laughs> exactly. Um, but the principles are, are similar, right? And obviously we're testing and developing. We'll, we'll never be ready. But as from what we already can see today, I mean, there's just, uh, yeah, incredible uh, potential to it. So what we're doing there is basically having... Yeah, an agroforestry system where we're not only looking, obviously, at popular, but we're looking at a combination of pioneering species with nut trees, a pioneering species with different fruit trees, fruit bushes, having different layers within one tree line, and obviously different potential usages at, at different times, all having some sort of synergetic effect with each other and and helping each other on different levels, be it through fungi, be it through shadows, be it through different root structures. So very versatile, very complex. And those systems are always designed in a way that part of the system is actually for the system itself. Basically, uh, the pioneer species will be pruned each year and the biomass that is, uh, you know, uh, being cut is then brought back onto the soil to, you know, stimulate let's say, nutrients for uh, and food for, for the soil microbiology and, and biology, obviously. And another part of the system is is for producing nutritious food for people so or actually animals also. So that is a system that we're trying and, and we've just uh, planted, I think, 1,500 trees and bushes a couple of weeks or actually two weeks ago. So and then the next project is the... Uh, basically the animals, the, yeah. You were the mentioning holistic, them yeah. already, yeah. Yeah, holistic grazing, um, following Alan Savory, at least we're, we're trying to, but it's, um, it's really tough when it comes to uh, having your mobile fence and, and having no rain for eight weeks. Then I haven't yet found a mobile fence that is hard enough or good enough to get into the ground. So um, <laughs> much to be learned. But anyway, yeah, so maybe some we people have, that are listening that are operating in, in more desert-like uh, circumstances have some tips for, for you. Yeah, basically, I know there's like, we need that, that rolling kind of fence that is like on, I think, five different poles and it, and it rolls above the ground. I think that is, that is a good way of doing it because, you know, our, our soil gets as hard as stone pretty much. You know, if it, if it doesn't rain for a while, then there's just nothing you can put in there as of a fence. But basically, we have, yeah, pretty much 20 cows. We'll uh, have our first calves, um, had our first calves a couple of weeks ago. We'll have another 20 um, hyphas coming uh, beginning of next year's and um, another uh, or, or part of our um, of our herd is going to uh, have their cows um, also beginning next year. So we'll have around 60 heads um, uh, starting the year and obviously practicing, let's say, you know, rotational grazing and, you know, learning and, and, and observing as much as we can. One thing that we'll be starting to build within the next couple of weeks is our first yeah, mobile uh, laying hen house, as well as three little uh, groups for, for the broilers. And uh, the broilers will go into the syntropic, uh, into this, uh, syntropic testing grounds and the laying hens will then uh, start to follow the cows in, um, in spring next year. And as you have so much grain, you for sure also have some leftovers for, to feed them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, that that is really one one of the concepts that, that are easy to grasp. Uh, basically, you know, use potential uh, side offs or, or things that you don't actually have usage for, and and see how you can somehow create some value from it. And as far as the grain is concerned, I mean, you know, we have a, a cleaning facility for the grain, so there's so much so much leftover, so so much potential garbage grain, so to say. That is, that is a great, great feed potentially. So we'll definitely use that. And, and, and the same way with the potential compost um, components. We've started um, yeah, doing some different experiments with composting. So uh, the classical vermicompost, um, we've built uh, four bioreactors following the johnson Sue model, which we're really, let's say, fascinated and, um, and, and also excited about to get, you know, get that 
microbiology and the bacteria and the fungi going. So uh, yeah, it's a good project. I'll, I'll show. I could provide some some photos of that later on as yeah, well. They look, they look very very uh, impressive, I have to say. And, and you were mentioning that they actually get to to some good temperatures, but obviously we have to see um, in uh, over the next months how how that develops. And when you think, I want to spend a few minutes. Uh, I want to be conscious of of our time as well to spend a few minutes on. Uh, when I say transition finance or when somebody mentions that in this context of this farm, what does that trigger to you? What would you be able to do if you had appropriate transition finance? And what would that mean in terms of uh, these projects that you just mentioned? And the pilots, some are maybe out of pilot phase, some are definitely in the pilot phase. Uh, what would you what would you do with transition finance? That's a good question. <laughs> Which we're going to explore in the next episode. So like the first few thoughts, yeah. that what, 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 does, what comes to mind now um, on this Friday afternoon? Um, exactly. I mean, what comes to mind? First of all, I think um, there's a couple of learnings that, that one needs to, to, needs to have done or needs to be, needs to be in in order to uh, know the way and, and the how, which is applicable to you know, the one in question. I think that's that's something that you know we are really figuring out right now, and we already have some or quite a good quite a good idea of um, what I understand or what I would like to understand. I guess when I hear transitioning finance, it's basically a partner, a way of having a partner that, in the best case, understands the situation that that I am in, that we are in, understands why we want to change, how we can change, why it is profitable to go that way. And by saying profitable, I don't only talk about, you know, monetization for me as a farmer or as, as us as a farm operation, but obviously talk about, you know, the ecological side of it, the, the social potential, and let's say, um, you know, the industry as a whole. And um, yeah, and, and on top of that, you know, having that, um, having that idea of, yeah, changing fundamental habits and, and changing a horizon and that in a way that, that gives you the leeway to actually rethink certain ways and, and processes and, and, um, also, yeah, have the time, you know, I, I think, uh, I always time call is an it interesting one. Huh? Yeah. yeah at the time, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I always call it like emotional freedom. Uh, that's what it is for me because, you know, I mean, we are faced with so many pressures and fears and, and, risks. And, uh, yeah. and risks. Yeah. I mean, it's sometimes, uh, you know, as beautiful and inspiring and, and, and great it is to, to be a farmer and to be outside and to do all of those things, you know, I mean, um, it is it is a, a huge pressure that you have. It's a huge responsibility you have. You have. It's not only you know the family and and the the family of the people who are working on the farm. It goes beyond that. And and I think in order to be able to change and, and to facilitate change, you know, you you can't work freely if you have that pressure on you all the time and if you have those fears about the future all the time. So for me, you know, that idea of transitioning is also to have, you know, the feeling that you're not alone in this game and there is someone or an institute that is being part of it, that understands it, that goes through the highs as, as well as the lows and that you can rely on. And obviously that goes both ways, you know. So, And what, in this case, uh, you mentioned a number of pilot projects and obviously... We'll dive deeper into the different ones and we'll dive deeper with gas into all the aspects of transition finance. And obviously that's going to change over years as new things, uh, a lot of lessons will be learned. Um, would it now be mostly, is it safe to say that most of, of, let's say, if you've got transition finance, whatever shape or form that will take now, it would be, you would use it to, to speed up the implementation of uh, some of these because some are 30 hectares, some are three and a half but it's very expensive to do cover crops everywhere and it's very expensive to plant trees and, and very risky because you don't, not everything has been figured out yet. So you are looking for basically fuel to, to speed up the process and at the same time by time. Like it's this constant tension between speeding up and actually going slower and, and take a step back and actually have that emotional freedom, which you mentioned. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, that is completely right. I think when it comes to, you know, the level, uh, yeah, on, on, on the ground level of the different projects, I would have a pretty good idea of where to start if I was going to speed up or if I wanted to speed up, right? And, and what kind of sizes are we thinking of? Is it, are we discussing 5,000, 500,000? Five million or fifty million? What is the the dimension? Without going into euro details, what are dimensions people should think about if they're gonna also help us and reach out with feedback, with ideas, with people to interview, etc. That we are talking about at this large scale farm because it is a thousand hectares plus the forestry part where we talk about the farming part now. But what are the dimensions you are at least thinking of and, and calculating with, let's say, in your your models? Yeah, basically, I mean, uh, obviously there's different ways of, let's say, the, 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 the speediness of the process that you want to take and, and also the scale that, that you want to uh, consider. But, you know, from what I've experienced uh, so far, from the things that I've seen, and uh, I think I have a good um, idea also of, let's say, the financial applications, I would probably have a discussion of, let's say, something between 500,000 and a million to really take a couple of, of, of bigger steps. Um, and I think that's, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, that's already quite a lot. It's a lot and, and it's nothing if we, we talk about uh, uh, some movements in the space or movements in, in the finance space. But yeah, obviously it's an enormous amount of money if you look at uh, your, your general bank account. Exactly. And I mean, this is really where, you know, where, where suddenly that whole discussion of transition financing on an emotional level makes you feel how you know how important it is because if you think that in in a, in a usual bank loan so to say you know having that figure just in front of you that is a lot of money on the farm level let's say and i think that it makes it quite tangible why you know that whole idea of transition financing is so important because you know you you have to think about a way that you can work with that money and, and actually develop and achieve what you're setting out to or what you're trying to in a way that, um, yeah, as we've already said, give you the freedom and, and the time to actually work with it and not having to worry and not having to, um, you know, think about uh, annuities and, and, and the bank that, that um, is not going to be on your side of the table, right? It's not gonna um, be I think partner, that's... No. Exactly. A, I think that's a critical part, really. We would love it to be. I mean, if, if your local bank, um, talking to all the farmers that hopefully listen, uh, is that partner and has the principles that we're going to explore in this series and is honoring that, then obviously and it will be ideal. And, and if you are, you can find that money somewhere. But what we've seen in, in many of these discussions, like this finance to transition farms, often isn't there or is very badly or unfairly, let's say, structured. So we're going to explore those questions and they're going to be uncomfortable questions and they're going to be difficult ones in the next uh, episodes uh, with guests actually on the show. So we're going to have people that are deep into the space and, and going to ask them to see and look at this case and say, okay, how would you finance this if you were in those shoes? So I'm extremely excited to explore that further over the next months and, and dive deeper into the transition finance piece and, and everything that that unlocks as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I guess I'm, I'm kind of, um, looking for, it's a combination of, of, of looking forward and being scared of, <laughs> of the kind of things that, that we'll, we'll have to talk about, the kind of connections that we'll make, uh, I think are going to be incredibly interesting. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll, it'd be great to hear also from, from a potential audience that is uh, interested in, in the space, what kind of questions they have and what kind of, uh, you know, problems they see or, or, or fears that they have, because, I think as far as farmers as farming is concerned, it's so heterogeneous and, you know, the things and the questions that I ask, the problems that I have, the, you know, the, the considerations, considerations that I think about are, are obviously all my problems, you know, and, you know, this is, you know, supposedly really not about me. It's, it's just an idea of, um, you know, of starting a conversation on, on, let's say on a farmer's level. So, um, yeah, I mean, it would be great to, to hear some other, get in touch. Yeah, yeah. yeah, get in touch either through, through SoundCloud, Twitter, or the website investinginregenerativeagriculture.com and then you can go to the contact page and you get straight to us. So we're very much looking forward to hear from you and um, let's get started with this journey. Perfect, Kuhn, thanks for having me on the show. 
Thank you for listening to this episode, which is part of the Transition Finance series, trying to find appropriate transition finance to speed up regenerative agriculture on farms. For feedback, ideas, suggestions, please contact us through Twitter or via the contact page on the website, investinginregenerativeagriculture.com. Please share this episode with a friend and give us a five-star rating, which really helps others to find the podcast. All the episodes of the series can be found on the website and in your podcast app. Thank you and see you next time.